on the other side of everything that sucks, like good shit happens. Every time. But you've got to go find it. What is happening, everyone? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Gordai Podcast. I am your host, Justin Mahaley. I am joined by my good friend, Corey Hibben, today. And wow, we have an episode for you inside. We are going to talk about how braces are negatively affecting your breathing. We're going to talk about destroying your niche, content curation ideas for the people who are just lost on what to post. What is your life vision? How can we go about finding that? Taking society to Mars. We're going to talk about leveraging being an introvert into community building, which is something that Corey is an absolute expert in. Masking pain with our self-limiting beliefs and then overcoming them. The one metric that matters to your quality of life. And finally, choosing to chase a lion. I hope you guys love this episode. Leave your feedback below in the comments. Make sure to subscribe to YouTube. Share us with your friends. Get ready. I'll see you inside. Corey, what nicknames do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Give it to us. Uh, Handsome Hib. Handsome Hib? My last name is Hibben, so... Yeah, yeah. Handsome handsome Hib. And it's actually very fitting. Thank you. Yeah, you have a really good smile. You have perfect teeth. Did you... You had braces? I did. Yeah, how long ago? Uh, I had them when I was in early teens, like 14, 15 years old. Okay. Which, like, that was actually a whole recent dilemma with my brother recently. I have two nephews... And I remember reading the book Breath by James Nestor. You've read this book, maybe? Never heard of it. Really? Yeah, tell me about it. But but I I, I hope it's about your breathing tendencies and whatnot. Okay, go exactly. ahead. Tell us. And uh, so I read this book. It fundamentally changed the way I thought about so many aspects of health. I've, like you, been in, very involved in the fitness space, the health space, like love working out and sauna and ice and cardio and eating healthy and intermittent fasting and all those things. And this was the first book I read that talked about a topic I feel like nobody ever talks about, breathing. And so obviously the title implies is like, it's all the aspects of how to breathe better, how we've been doing it wrong for a really long time and how we have all these like respiratory issues and sleep issues and a lot of just general health issues just because we don't know how to breathe, which seems like the most basic thing in the world since we do it tens of thousands times a day, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the recent dilemma that I was talking about was with my brother and my two nephews and the talks of like having braces and should you even have braces and is that a good idea? And if you really look into it, it's actually not a good idea for the most part because like it really messes up your jaw and that's a huge issue of why people have breathing issues. And so I was basically telling my brother, I was like, I was like, hey man, uh, for the love of God, do not make my nephews have braces, even if your orthodontist says so, because of all the bad health implications that come from something like that. Wow. And so, so this book kind of enlightened you. Changed my life, dude. Talk a little bit more about that. It changes, braces change your jaw. Yes. So the it's basically like the normal structure of how your jaw should be formed. It should be strengthened by the aspect of... The, so one of the reasons that we have such narrow faces and narrow jaws these days is because of braces, is because we have super palatable foods from processed foods. That's a huge aspect of it. And we're not using the strong jaw muscles that are required to basically build a thick jaw to allow us, allow us to breathe that better. And the other aspect of it as well is that there's... Um, 
are you familiar with mouth taping? Yeah, absolutely. I do it every night. So, okay. So the, a lot of the teachings behind that was from that book exactly of breath. It's like James Nestor is one of the first guys to talk a lot about that. And so this is one of the other things where I was like, oh my gosh, like there's so many ways where you can actually widen your jaw and strengthen your mouth without having to do the band-aid approach of basically getting braces or whatever the case might be. And so there's a lot of things we should be doing naturally from just eating foods that are more fibrous or have a lot more bite to them to meats and other forms of foods that basically have a thicker component to it. And then, yeah, man, it honestly like changed my life in so many ways of putting mouth tape at night to when I run, I try to primarily breathe through my nose to paying attention to if I'm diaphragmatic breathing to all, all sorts of things, man. So diaphragmatic breathing is just like focusing on your diaphragm, obviously expanding and then collapsing like as you breathe. So you mouth tape every single night. Mm-hmm. I've noticed a it. monster difference, um, but I, I have an issue. I mouth tape and then my jaw slides back still. So my airways aren't completely open at night. And like I wear, you know, I wear the... Um, nasal strip as well but it doesn't do much because my jaw sliding back so i just bought a mouth guard situation that i'll wear under the mouth tape in my mouth that'll keep this jaw forward and i noticed that even just sitting here um and this is because i've been mouth breathing for so long that my jaw has this sliding situation going hmm. on if i if i'm cognizant of it so like you sleep like this right and when my head is up, jaw goes back, and I can feel less air going in. Um, and my sleep has improved so much since mouth taping. But I, I'm very, very, very excited to feel how this changes things because when I wake up through the night, I'm still waking up due to a slight lack of oxygen supply. So I'm waking up with a mild adrenaline um, pour, dump. And so now I have this cortisol release and now I like have to go through steps to bring like myself back into a very restful state. Hmm. So when I'm waking up, it's like a 30 minute hour long process right now. And I'm hoping this mouth guard can help change that. Have you seen the bite thing that Huberman has promoted on Instagram that it like works out your jaw? You like you put it in your mouth and it's like a, I think it's a spring activate. It's like the, the hand grip. Mm. things we used to have like in eighth grade and yes. in high school but for your jaw have you seen that are you familiar with that i haven't seen it but i feel like that's exactly the same concept that we're talking about is that we think that we need the band-aid approach to basically fixing our mouth or our jaw situation when in reality there's perfect things like that where you can strengthen some of the muscles through other means that don't require you to spend ten thousand dollars on braces yeah so what's the alternative route to braces then to get a perfect smile. <laughs> is that Invisalign? The, yeah. I mean, the, you're talking teeth situation or yeah, jaw? Because those the, are two different things. So the teeth situation. Yeah. I mean, I guess that was one blessing of having braces, I guess, was straightening my teeth. I mean, that is a component of Were your teeth bad? It. Oh, they were horrendous. Mine but, were really bad. But that had exactly, the to your point, the issue of basically having a narrow jaw and having weak mouth muscles, essentially. I mean, that was the result of it, right? Is like growing up as a kid with processed foods and never really eating fibrous foods and breathing through my mouth and not actually breathing through my nose. And so there was a lot of just rudimentary things that we used to always do as humans that we've stopped doing that has resulted to smaller jaws and more people, quote unquote, requiring braces. When in reality, we could really just go to the root issue of stop breathing through your mouth so damn much, essentially. Mm -hmm. 
That's fascinating. It makes a lot of sense. Growing up, I played sports year round, never, ever, ever stop. If it wasn't in a sports game, I was at, I was practicing sports. If I wasn't practicing sports, it's because I was out of practice for another sport. It's all I did. So mouth breathing is like, I mean, you're out of breath. You're always out of breath. I'm always moving, doing things. So it's fascinating to hear this because I'm not keen whatsoever uh, on this topic. But it makes so much sense because my teeth would continually get worse. Mm -hmm. And I remember having like um, like maybe jaw aches or like mouth aches. And I wasn't eating a ton of fibrous foods growing up. I don't think anyone was in our generation. No, it was it was difficult. My my our dude, I mean, I look back like my parents were so busy. Like so busy keeping the house up, trying to make, you know, making money for us to for my sister and I to be able to do things. Like they were busy, dude. Like I'm not sure how a parent is supposed to juggle all of these things. And when I have a, a, a mom or a dad that works with me who achieves these fitness goals, dude, I mean, it's amazing to me. It is amazing to watch it go down. Like I've got moms of three, four, I've got single dads of two and three off the top of my head that they're actively competing and winning shows the level of discipline is just another, it's like you're making your kid one thing for dinner and they get mac and cheese and like you get chicken and green beans. <laughs> like the level of discipline is quite impressive there. So Corey, something that has always been impressive about you is you have a lot of friends in a lot of areas of fitness and that you sort of opened my eyes to have a more broad umbrella. We were talking a little bit before we pressed record and you know started talking in front of the mics here about it used to be so sexy and cool to like niche down. <laughs> I'm not so sure that's sexy and cool anymore. And I don't think you think that's very sexy and cool anymore because Niching used to be such a way to attract this type of client, and this is who I want to work with. Really? Like myself, I found just the burnout is insanely high there. And like, I actually don't only want to work with competitive bodybuilders. Like, I want to have different components of my day, having discussions with people with different backgrounds. Whereas when I have a hundred bodybuilders, it's like I'm having the same discussion a hundred times a day. And that is just, that is not fun. Like at all. I want to help people problem solve their routine, their habits, their disciplines, whatever, to get them moving in a, in a optimal direction. How have you gone about networking with all of these people from all of these backgrounds? And you're just like this hybrid chameleon flowing through the Austin fitness scene. Uh, I feel like I steal a quote from Will Smith. I remember he was talking about like, how do you keep up with everything from, cause he's done what acting and rapping and comedy and all sorts of crazy things. And I remember he always used to talk about is basically you just bite off more than you can chew and then you figure it out. I feel like that's a lot of what I've done and I feel like that's been pretty good advice. I think there's a time and place, although for different approaches to life, I guess you could say, I think that's a good place for a lot of people to start because it allows you to taste a lot of things, things and experience what you like and what you don't like. Um, I mean, that's a big part of me moving to Austin, honestly, is I think everybody gets caught in that game of trying to do all the things because in a town like this, 
You could literally have a coffee meeting and go to an event every hour of every day of every week for eternity and never run out of things to do. And it's fun. It's exhilarating. You meet a lot of cool people. But to your point exactly, you burn out. So I think it's there's a stage where it's really good to do that because it allows you to taste a lot of things and to figure out what you like and what you don't like. And it eventually led me to a place of of all these conversations that I have from, I do marketing, that's a large part of what I do, and podcasting, just like you do. And through a lot of the conversations, I feel like a common trend that I started to notice is this itch issue with picking a niche. I feel like it's very buzzwordy. People like to argue like what the perfect niche is or what's in line with your interests and desires. And there's a lot of ways to look at it. And I've recently just discovered through my own self-exploration and writing on my own is that I think there's really two ways to look at it. I think that the one way to look at it is that you can become an authority figure and an expert on a very specific topic. A lot of like what you've done with bodybuilding or what my buddy Eirik has done with keto or um, name, name whatever your topic is, is like you can become an authority or a figure on a specific topic. It's great. You can build a lot of wealth that way. You can build a great business. You can become this known figure for this thing. But eventually, to your point, like you probably, it feels like you're experiencing right now, is that there's a degree of burnout and you feel very stuck. You feel very pigeonholed and it's very hard to kind of like see what the next move might be. And so I think often a better approach and not that you can't just do this today if you so decided to, I'm starting to realize is that just being the niche, which sounds confusing, I think is a more healthy approach for most humans because all humans are multifaceted humans. We have multiple interests and desires and pursuits and visions and goals in our life. And so to try to compartmentalize all those things that you love about the world into this one tiny little thing of, we'll say bodybuilding or keto or whatever your thing is, is like, that's really hard and it's really frustrating because now you feel like I can only create content on this topic. I can only talk about this topic. I can only interview people related to this topic. But what if I wanna talk to somebody else? What if I wanna explore a new interest? Like, I feel like I can't do that. And I think that's really frustrating for a lot of people. And that's why I go back to like, it's confusing for me to say this. And so I'll try to explain it in a way that's simple is like being the niche is honestly a more zoomed out and healthier approach. Because as much as we love the black and whites of the world, nothing is black and white. Everything is gray, just as much as your interests and desires are. And so when you realize that, okay, I have multiple overlying interests. Like for me, for example, I like health. I like fitness. I like marketing. I've recently got into running. I like to go camping. I like to, I love podcasting. It's one of my favorite things in the world. And like this overlapping in these interests, I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that there's a handful of other people out there, maybe listening to this, that are interested in those same things. And so when I talk about this myriad of interests, those are the people that I attract. Not any one particular, not one specific thing, not just the podcast guy or just the marketing guy or just the fitness guy is like, I have a myriad of interests. And because I have a myriad of interests, there's other people that share those same things. And now it allows you to basically build a community in the same way that you could with doing the keto or the bodybuilding thing in a way that's more organic to that of essentially being a human as opposed to being just a topic focused person, if that makes sense. Being a human. I absolutely love that you said that. I I feel like that's what I've stepped more into now than ever. Um, You made... A post recently that I absolutely love. You know what I'm talking about. It was your eight favorite Austin influencers. And I made Justin the cut. Justin made the lust. I made the cut. I was very, <laughs> very, very for I was very grateful for that. Um, it was a cool post too. So Corey went on this eight mile run 
And for each mile he recorded, it was super cool because each time you recorded, you were in like a vastly different location than the previous because it was a different mile marker. For each mile, he recorded who that mile was dedicated to and like what, what he likes about that person or like what they do, whatever. And mile four said, Justin Mahaley, bodybuilding coach, yada, yada. And I was like, the next time Corey makes this, I'm going to be Justin Mahaley, the something else. Yes. And I'm going to be Justin Mahaley with a more broad approach. Cause right now I am the bodybuilding coach. Like that's what I've been. That's what I've been known for. And as I'm, exp- I'm zooming out, like I- I've used on like an iPad, like a-, a Google maps. And like, I've been so zoomed in on this lot on this street. And now I'm like zooming out to the, like to the neighborhood, to the city. And now like, I'm, I'm going to try to like run this, you know, city, this hypothetical city of the Justin Mahaley brand. Um, but I really appreciated the mention. I thought it was very cool. Thanks. We are all humans in this human element, but social media has stripped a lot of that away due to what we have to do to market. And, you know, you're, vastly involved in marketing. What's your expertise in marketing? Like what's your main realm there? I don't want to say niche or trying to kind of destroy niches. What's your main realm in marketing? Right. And just to preface that too, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a niche. I think that that can be, I think it's just like, I think people get frustrated by not knowing what to talk about or create or to put out in the world. And so that I feel like removes some of the frustration. But for me specifically to that question, uh, the people I'm most involved with are people exactly like yourself, people in the health, fitness, wellness space, because it's something I'm generally interested in. And I help them through a lot of angles, but like that is really my market, I guess you could say. Are you seeing trends that are happening that might not match previous trends that have ever gone on in the marketing or fitness space? Because personally, I feel like I'm seeing some things change quite heavily as well. What What are you seeing in that regard? Um, purely from the world that I'm involved with from like, I always take a marketing business approach to most things in my life. But from that angle, it's kind of what we're really talking about is that I've noticed a lot more people finding success in building their brand around themselves, right? Of like being a personal brand. My buddy recently launched his own podcast show called The Jeremy Miller Show. And it was great. Uh, Danny Miranda, if you know him, he's another buddy of mine. He posted a show about that. It's doing really well. I think that you're just seeing a lot more value in being a personal brand versus a business brand. Not that there's not value in both, but I think more people are interested and gravitated towards knowing the person behind something versus knowing the actual business. Like when you think about like, who do you follow on your social media account? Do you follow Amazon or do you follow Jeff Bezos, right? Do you follow Tesla or do you follow Elon Musk, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're following the person behind it. And so like, whether you like it or not, everyone has a personal brand. Personal brand is just a fancy way of saying reputation. Mm -hmm. And so everyone has one. And so it's like more people are leaning leaning into the aspect of like, okay, people follow me for whatever reason. Why don't I just do something that I can actually help add value to their life through content or products or services essentially. So. And you can take that personal brand with you anywhere you go. This is something I've chatted with my staff about um, with the, the, the team Haley coaches. There's a time where all of them were like trying to be mini Justins because what Justin did was working so well and it attracted certain individuals for them. But what we've seen in trends the last couple of years, people are buying the person. There's people that work with some coaches on my staff who don't even know who I am. Isn't that hilarious? That's crazy. They're, they're, they're a team Haley athlete and they don't even know who I am. 
I think that's beautiful. That's what we want. We want, I want each coach on this staff, each has a beautiful, unique message that they can spread to people. I want each of them to be spreading that message in a way that they feel most aligned with. We're doing that right now at a, the highest clip. And I know you can see a smile coming on my face at the highest clip we've ever been doing it. And like, they're thriving. Like we've never been performing this well in terms of signups, applications, client retention, everything is like booming. Hmm. And it feels so good because I'm watching these people be so aligned. And, and, you know, two in particular, like Danielle and Noah, you met Noah that one morning we grabbed coffee. She's such a, such a special human. They're actually recording a podcast right next door right now. <laughs> so it's just really funny, but they're just blowing up. Like they're doing such good things and they're breaking away from that mold, creating their own personal brand. You brought up a point that I would love to chat about the content uh, curation. People don't know where to go next, but I feel like it's all right in front of us. It's we're trying to find this unveiling of the curtain that doesn't quite exist. And like, this is what you need to post about. It's all happening right here. If you're someone who works with clients, what are your clients asking you? That's your content. That on a green screen, on Instagram, TikTok, whatever, and you talking about it, that's your content right there. Um, who is involved in your niche and who has a similar brand as you? What questions are they being asked on YouTube, on Instagram? What questions are you being asked on YouTube, on Instagram? What do, as you're scrolling through your timeline, what do you feel very aligned and drawn towards? And you bringing this into your personal brand? For example, I feel very, very aligned with self-help items. As a 30-year-old multi-entrepreneur of ventures that have been very successful. Team Haley, Elite Detail Pros, The Grower Die Podcast, my mentorship services, those all are very lucrative avenues for myself. I'm like, okay, a 30-year-old with four strong income streams. Well, crap, I didn't think I knew anything, but maybe I do. Because all four are so vastly different from the other one. And so I start realizing, wait, the things I'm doing, they're not special at all, but other people just aren't doing them because they haven't been told. So I'm not, like, there's a content shift that I chatted with you about when we were at Coffee that maybe you've seen my last couple of posts that's happening clearly. And I feel so aligned with that and it's drawing people in, but there's a content shift with the podcast too. And the beautiful part about it, and I tell all my staff this, and I'm telling you guys listening to this, and I would love to hear your thoughts. There's a drop off in numbers. Hmm. That's perfectly fine. People who aren't aligned with that next step, they'll drop off. But that next step, they weren't going to be able to support anyways. This is your vision. This is my vision that I'm now stepping closer and further into. The podcast views are temporarily down. The shares are temporarily down. That's okay. You can't freak out when that happens. The Instagram interaction is temporarily down. That's okay. Because you're cultivating a new you're stepping into new, that's new followers, that's new leads, that's new uh, areas of expertise, that's new new business being driven in. Because the people who are following off, they're not business anyways. 
They're not your friends. They're not in your network. They're not supporting business. And that's great. What do you think about that drop off as you kind of align yourself with a different step? I think people assume growth for the sake of growth is a good thing. And I think that's where people get tripped up. That's really important, Corey. Growth for the sake of growth. People do assume that that's a good thing. Talk talk a little bit more about that before you go into your next step. Like people just think follower going up is good. Correct. So if you wanted followership to go up, you could post really cool dance videos on TikTok that'll go trending and your numbers will get really high. But who does that attract? And is that even aligned with who you are, what you want to do, or the direction that you're going? It goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier about zooming out. Zoom out of like, what is the vision? What what is your life vision? Like, where are you going? Don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about anybody else's opinions, how they want to live their life, what they want to do. That's all cool. But like, what is your ultimate vision in terms of where you're going? And then all of your ideas, exactly to your point of content creation, comes from that space of like, what are the things that you're doing to move you towards that ultimate vision that you have for your life? And when I say vision, I think people get very grandiose and they think like, I want to take a society to Mars. I don't know, that's a terrible example, (laughs) but like, that's what people think, right? And and vision doesn't have to be that overwhelming, right? Like we were talking about off air here, but like my vision ultimately is to live a life I don't need a vacation from. And that really, for me, only requires three things, honestly, at the end of the day. And I know we've talked about this before. It's like, doing work that I enjoy, being able to work out every day and spending time with people that I love. Pretty straightforward, right? But then the question becomes, what are the things that I'm doing on a day in day out basis to basically move me towards that vision? And the other people that have that shared vision will join a board. They'll start watching. And if they're not, they'll stop watching. And I feel like that's a lot of what you're probably experiencing in this moment right now is like, Exactly to your point earlier, of they probably weren't really along for the ride anyways. And now that you feel like you've zoomed out and you have a little bit more direction as to where you're going and you're starting to create content and starting to put information out there about that direction, the wrong people are going to fall off, but then in turn, the right people are going to come on board, right? And so I think it's <laughs> people trip up the, I just need to keep growing. I need to keep getting better. And I think there's a phase for that. And also too, I wanted to tap real quick. You got me thinking about something I've been thinking about so much lately. Mm-hmm. And and it's finding more awareness about what you're doing and why you're doing it, right? Like you're listening to this podcast show for a reason. And I think pause even now for a second and ask yourself why. Mm-hmm. Why? What are, you, what are you hoping to get out of this? What are you hoping to learn? What are you hoping to have next in your life that you want to accomplish? And it's something that I'm personally working through. And I, and that's why I'm bringing this up is that I'm trying to be more conscious as to why I consume the things that I consume. Because in some way, shape or form, they're hopefully moving me towards the direction that I want to go. And then having enough awareness to go, oh, I'm listening to this podcast show about how to eat a more ancestral diet because I want to be a healthier person. I want to have more energy. I want to show for people in a better way because I feel better. Okay, this is what I'm learning about. This is why I'm learning about it. How can I also take what I'm learning and help somebody else on this same journey? That's how I think about content creation now, right? Is like, I'm consuming all this information. I try to pause and go, 
why? Why am I interested in this? Why is this giving me dopamine in my brain? Why am I curious about this specific thing? Because I'm sure somewhere deep rooted inside that is a genuine desire to go some, some, some direction. And then I can take that and go, okay, I learned this from it. How can I also help Justin or anybody else that's listening to my podcast show or following my social media account? So, yeah. Do you feel like most people's why has transitioned to a more emotional output? Whereas I feel I think it used to be more of an internal um, intake of I would consume content that just added value. And it was added value, added value, added value, and compound that over time, and it would help me in whatever my endeavor was. I feel I have noticed a shift towards more emotional content, number one, being created, number two, being highly consumed, you think people are consuming content more emotionally now than ever before? It's a really good question. I don't know. I think we've always, I, I deeply believe that we're emotional creatures first and thinking creatures second. And so I think there's always been some degree of emotion involved with the type of content that we consume. I think the shift that I've seen is that people are craving more of the connection piece of what you're talking about. I actually did a post the other day about how I thought this was good for humanity is what I've come to realize from a content creation, social media standpoint is that the most shared, not just liked or watched or engaged with, but the most shared content on social media isn't actually the doom and gloom. It isn't actually like the tornado that swept through or the fire or the war or whatever name your thing. Actually, the most shared content is like, it's happy. It makes somebody laugh. It gives somebody like a feel good because somebody accomplished or overcame something that they never thought they could do. That's actually the most shared content is I think it's because it makes people feel good and then they want other people to feel good. So they share that with somebody else. And so what I've seen the shift in is just more depth, I guess you could say, and less of the like cool dancing, like whatever, fine. But Nothing wrong with anybody dancing out there for the record, but... They're definitely not listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Keep on dancing, doing your thing. I always wonder (laughs) when like some of that pops up on my TikTok timeline. I'm like, I've never interacted with this type of stuff before. Like, are you just tossing it at me? Like, see if I want a little bit now. But dude, like you just see the stuff and it's like, that has 2 million likes. She's just dancing she's just doing a silly little like (laughs) like what are you doing those aren't even good dance moves like i do good dance moves in my kitchen those aren't good dance moves (laughs) you should post that i want to see i I, I should huh i should (laughs) should. last night um danielle was over we were we were hanging out i was uh like eating some chicken and pineapple um and listening to drake i went to the drake concert on monday and I was just like dancing, like getting jiggy with it in the kitchen and stuff like that. And you know, it'd be so funny. It would be really funny if there was like a camera that was set up that would capture that and, and have that edited together and put out there. People would be like, I didn't know Justin did that. <laughs> it's not like it's good. It's not like it's good. I, some of them are. Sometimes I do some things. I got this little like scarecrow move that's like pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's not too bad. <laughs> you need a full time content team, man. I, I I have one. We have a whole dude. We that set follows up. you around. We set up. Uh, I don't make that much money yet. I don't make that much not yet. But 
we set up a content room in my in my place. Mm. Sick. Mm. It is really cool. We transitioned the second bedroom into a content room. Because as my ideas come to me throughout the day, right now I'm just jotting them down in a notes app. And then when I actually have times with uh, Christian or Jill to record, that's when I'm pulling those up. And it, I, it loses some of the authenticity and it loses some of the passion and fire. Whereas now... I have an idea and I can just walk into the room, press record, sit down, and I can just let it go. Mm. And my creative energy is just going to work better like that, as is anybody's. We can't control when that flow state hits. But man, when that flow state hits, I can drop some fire. Like I can go really, really good. That's a, that's kind of a, a struggle with like the podcast as well as like with my daily duties. And then I have, you know, this podcast time slot from 12 to 1.30 or to 2 p.m. So, okay. So I try to like not get too much work done before noon, but like I still have to get a lot of work done before noon so that I don't fall behind on the day. I can't, I can't do the podcast earlier because I train. So I'm like, you know, it's, it's this, conundrum that I'm in of just you you show up as your absolute best and most authentic self and like I know I sent like show notes over to you before we started and it's like this is kind of how I say organized um, and make sure that the podcast has some value while also having some entertainment um, but that being said I, I, I wanted to you made a funny lol in one of your examples about taking society to Mars seems to be this mild fascination heating up that this is actually practical within our lifetime because Elon has talked about it. We're not getting, it's just not happening. <laughs> There's not a chance that it's happening. Can I ask you? I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to be some crazy conspiracy Bring it. theorist. I'm not. Bring it. You ever seen any of stuff about how we've definitely never been to the moon? Have you ever seen any of that? Yes. And how staged all this shit was? Yes. There was a country, was it? Do you know if the country recently staged one? I'm assuming Russia, but I have no idea. No, it wasn't Russia. It was China? like, it was a Middle Eastern country like staged that they hit a moon landing. <laughs> Did they really? Dude. Yeah, it recently happened. Um, man, maybe it was like, oh, I don't want to misspeak. Riddle me this. Riddle me this. We have this footage. How do we have foot? Who the fuck set the camera up? <laughs> Who the fuck set the camera up to get the first steps for mankind? <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you mean? Did the camera fly out there with them? Like to the moon in the, what was this? The fucking 60s? The camera flew out with them. <laughs> travel this journey and first steps for mankind like whatever like dude no it wasn't that was all done out in fucking la <laughs> some fucking they just made it look like them like we need to be really honest with ourselves there's these statistics that it's been completely debunked so many times we don't even have a spaceship now apparently we don't even have a spaceship now that has the power to get there so how the fuck did they get there like that thing is so far away that moon is so like so far away, it was completely staged. No one's been there. And you know, Corey, did you ever hear? Okay, if you look at the moon through like a microscope and you see this, the, there's this little thing on top that's the American flag. Yeah, did you ever hear that growing up? No. We were very much told that in school and we'd go, we'd go out at night and we'd like look at it. 
Like, oh my God, that's the American flag. Because if you're telling yourself that there's a speck on top of the moon that's the American flag, you're going to find a little speck on top of the moon that's the American flag. Hmm. What do you think? You think we've been there? You think we've been there? I don't know, man. I struggle with all the conspiracy theory stuff just in general. Cause like, what do you struggle with about it? Um, I guess I'll say this. I, the thing I struggle with is that, okay, let's assume you're right. Right. Let's assume we never went to the moon. It was all staged. It was all hoaxed. Mm-hmm. My question then becomes, okay, so the people that were involved in this, mm-hmm. Couldn't they just like go to, I don't know, some news outlet or some somebody that really wants to tell that story and basically prove that it was false and then make a bunch of money doing it? Why haven't they done that yet? Have they not? Yeah. That's why I always go with conspiracy theories is like, and I'm not saying you're right or wrong. Yeah. I'm just saying like, that's always been what I try to vet it against is like, okay, let's say somebody knows about the aliens that have been to earth. Yeah. If they outed that, couldn't they make a bunch of money and get super rich on it? And money is a great motivator for people. Like, why wouldn't they just come out about it and be like, yo, here's all the proof that this actually ha- didn't happen or didn't happen. Why don't they just make a bunch of money? A few items. Go. Number one, at the time, this was this massive arms race. I believe it was what, US, China, maybe Russia was having this massive space exploration race. Like, who can get to the moon first? And this was like a big dick thing. Like, this is going to be a dick measuring contest of how capable your country is. So if you fake it and you fake it really well, but you don't actually go there, like, yeah, you know, show the spaceship taking off, cool. Plan it out, this is how long it would take, cool. And, you know, now we drop this video footage, this is real nice, neat put together to prove that we did it. So... Number one, there was a dick measuring competition going as their fucking noises. And this is a reason why I'm just completely apolitical. Ego. E- massive ego. Number two, if this got outed to the public, like anything else, it would just lose public trust. And we've never really, there's never been less public trust than right now. Given the COVID situation, the alien situation, everyone's told that they were fucking crazy. Like there's no aliens. And now it's like, well, it gets declassified amongst other things that are maybe a little deeper rooted or not as touch on as much. Like we have clear proof that there's been um, experiments that are just completely inhumane done on humans, on American humans. There's some cover up of maybe some trafficking of children that has been known about like this it's just this declassified information like I don't want to make this a conspiracy theory podcast this stuff is out there so my issue now it gets into a greater realm of conspiracy theories so, of well fuck are they conspiracies cuz shit they've all been right like you know not every single one of them but like these main ones that pick up this traction it's like oh Oh shit, like they were right again. Hmm. Oh crap. You know, they were right about this, they're right about that, they're right about whatever. And I don't implore anyone to really listen to Alex Jones. I think that guy just like puts a microphone in front of himself and gets really angry. Are you familiar with, with No, him? I was just thinking about that. He was like kicked off the internet like a while back. He's this crazy right wing conspiracy theorist. He's here in Austin. 
He's been on Joe's podcast a few times. They're insane podcasts, Corey. Insane. And he just takes these massive swings. And he misses 90% of them. But fuck, dude, like sometimes he hits. And he's hitting on one right now. What is it? About eight months ago, six, eight months ago, he was talking about another round of COVID. And now there's some steam picking up on this other round of COVID, you know, sweeping through and coming through. And that's why, you know, Texas came out and they're like, no, nah, we're not, we're done. We're, we're not shutting. Nothing's happening here, y'all. Like Texas got it way ahead of the bullet. They were the first state to kind of make that move. But uh, election year coming up, we're going to have some more fear mongering things going on. I, I'm, com- I'm completely apolitical. I don't, I think they're all the exact same thing, just like screaming at each other. But then behind closed doors, they're all buddies. Mm. I mean, we saw it in the Trump and Clinton election. Like, oh, y'all really, y'all hate each other all of a sudden? There's all of these public pieces of you guys together being buds, being cool for all these years. Like, now y'all hate each other. Like, come on. Like, I, it's, it's, it's entertainment. That's what it is. It's, it's drawn out entertainment. A conspiracy that I'm interested in is the NFL right now. There's some interesting th- Things coming out about the NFL being fixed and fixing it, which isn't surprising because, again, this is entertainment. Like, this is entertainment biz. Like, the fix is in. The fix is very clearly in. Um, But the last so many years, the Super Bowl logo, which gets released before the season, has ended up containing, like, a mixture of colors of, like, the teams that, like, made it to the Super Bowl. And this year, there's like a turquoise, I think, that's in it, or like something. There, there's a very strong hint that the Miami Dolphins are apparently going to make it to the Super Bowl. They have a great team. It'd be a crazy story. Like their coach is like the super cool, chill guy. Tua coming back from concussions, you know, yada yada. But it it's a billion dollar industry, and every multi billion dollar industry, like it's dirty. Like, of course, the fix is in. It, 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 it quite literally has to be in from a ratings perspective. What greater team than Miami? I mean, there's not a bigger market than Miami. The LA Rams just won, and it was this huge story. This small town Bengals, homegrown Cincinnati Bengals versus the glorious Los Angeles Rams brought everybody in, and they're going to battle to the death and see who wins the Super Bowl. It goes down to the final plays. How, how how fixed do you think any of this stuff is? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that I've always said that I'm not a big sports guy. If my girlfriend listens to the show, which she probably will, mm-hmm. she'll probably laugh for the fact that like I, Ooh. yeah, exactly. Sports, cool. <laughs> but no, but, but on this topic specifically though, I've always said that uh, football to me, NFL in general, to me feels like modern day gladiators. It does. And when you compare it to modern day gladiators, yeah, of course, a lot of that was fixed. No question. Um and so I think you're right. And it also makes me think a lot about just that aspect of public perception mm-hmm. and how powerful something is like that, especially from a company that I don't know how much there were billions of dollars, but from an, from an NFL standpoint, they obviously very well know and understand that aspect of how public perception and media drives everything. I was literally just thinking about this the other day. I'm taking a trip to Italy uh, this coming week and everyone, I swear to God, mm-hmm. Everyone I've talked to, everyone their mom is like, I'm, I'm going to Italy or I've been to Italy or I'm going there soon. I was like, why is everyone in my entire life all of a sudden going to Italy for whatever reason at seemingly the same exact time? Mm-hmm. And so I started digging into it. I was like, what is the deal? 
And what I've realized is that two things have come together. One of them is like everyone's now traveling after COVID. Obviously, that's a big part of it. But the other piece of it, too, I think there was some show that basically was highlighting Sicily. Okay. And so like a bunch of people saw this show and now everyone and their mom wants to go to Sicily because they saw the show. Right. Same thing happened with bourbon is like if anybody doesn't know the story behind bourbon, bourbon used to be a dirt cheap liquor. Nobody wanted. Everybody thought it was trash. Wow. And then the show Mad Men came out, which is an advertising agency type show. These guys in super nice suits and they were sipping their fancy bourbon as they were sitting in their sky rises. And all of a sudden, bourbon prices went through the roof because of public perception, because of media, essentially. Fascinating. And so, like, to circle all the way back to, like, this whole topic of conspiracies and the NFL and, like, fixing stuff and doing stuff for entertainment, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I think most giant corporations especially know the power of public perception and media and how that drives really everything at the end of the day, <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. $163 billion is the NFL's total value. Oh, my God. $163 billion. So The fix is in. The fix is in. So, so understanding this and then, you know, it's interesting to me that like you look at a college football, most of the championships are won in the Southeast. And like, yeah, there's definitely a lot of talent in the Southeast, but you know, who owns the, the SEC and the ESPN are like, you know, one thing, the ESPN owns college football playoffs. So college football playoffs, the SEC are both run by the same corporation. Like, Ohio State won it, Clemson won it, and then I think everyone else has been in the SEC. And it's like, well, that feeds directly into the the, the owner's pockets of the entire situation. I used to be a huge sports fan. And now I view it from this, this like myopic approach of this is cool and fun, but like, <laughs> LOL. It's entertainment. The fix is in. Yeah. And like, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Like, that's great. Um, it's almost like WWE wrestling. It really feels like some WWE wrestling. Like there's no way that that, I don't want to say players are involved, but there's no way that tackle was missed. More importantly, I think it's like, yeah, I mean, we have proof of how many officials have gotten busted for like fixing games and stuff over the years. Like, you didn't miss that pass interference call. That crucial pass interference call. And what that does is it just sways the momentum to the other team. It sways emotions towards the other team. But at the end of the day, like, man, officials are a monster part of this game. Like, huge. One missed call is, like, massive. You know, if it's a third down and eight and you miss a 52-yard pass interference call, <laughs> yeah, that shifts the game. Now the other team gets the ball back. Like, you know, this team was going to be in a scoring position. Other team was, but there's so many instances of this happening, right? Um, I've not spent a lot of time talking about conspiracy. So this is fun. This is interesting. This is definitely not a direction I expected to go with. Me this. neither. But it, <laughs> me neither. But it is honestly got me thinking in ways that I haven't thought before. So I appreciate you pinging a lot of these ideas. Because like now, as I'm just kind of thinking through a lot of this stuff, I think that people, when they hear conspiracy, they maybe assume some like mastermind yeah. with this master plan behind all these things of how they're going to make or shape the world. But I think conspiracy can be more micro than that. I think it can be like, to your point that you were saying earlier about the teams in the South or Southeast, I think you said, yeah. win the majority of the championships. Sure, there's a talent piece of there, but then that automatically got me thinking of, I'm from Minnesota. Minnesota actually breeds some of the best hockey players in the entire country. I don't know that we've really ever won a Stanley Cup in yeah. my 
awareness. Yeah. At least the new team, at least the Minnesota Wild haven't. Maybe that's when we were the stars. But yeah. um, but it makes me think of like more of a, a granular level of like, okay, let's say the guy that owns the entire organization happens to live in this general area. He probably makes certain decisions that then trickle down to other teams that then also make certain decisions that trickle down to players that make certain decisions that trickle down. So I don't think there's like this mastermind behind all of it. No, no, no. But I think that the the monetary incentives could have an influence as to like how certain decisions are made and like little micro decisions that people make in moments that they maybe wouldn't make otherwise because of the circumstances that they're in. So I think a trickle down effect is the best way to put it. I don't think there's any sort of situation where it's like Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the right. NFL, is texting this head coach, right. telling this guy, you need to do this at this juncture of the I don't it, it, it's nothing like that. It's more like you said, to use your term granular, it's much more granular than that. But in a situation like any entertainment that granular effect can be massive. Oh, yeah. It can force a shift in the out, whatever desirable outcome it is. 100%. But what I wonder, let's assume, Corey, let's assume the fix is in. What happens when things don't go to plan? What happens when there's a punt return touchdown in overtime that wasn't supposed to happen. And all of a sudden, I wonder how that shifts the plans. I wonder how that shifts the narrative, you know, and it just, it, somebody gets staying fired, on sports, staying on sports, staying on sports. <laughs> LeBron just ends up in LA. Really? Does he? And what a story. What a, what a story. I'm <laughs> sure he does. I'm sure he does. I would choose LA over Cleveland as well. It's not about, it's about the stars aligned. Oh, he was in Miami. We have the greatest talent of a generation. He was in Miami. He goes back to Cleveland. He's champion. Of course he wins a championship in Cleveland. Of course they come down from 3-1 against this juggernaut team where a dude got ejected from a game. A, a key piece of the Warriors when the series was 3-1 gets ejected and kicked out of the next game and of course the Cavs are now tied 3-3 and there's a game seven and the drama is so intense it's the hometown I'm sure that come on I mean like I this is me talking to myself as an Ohio bred individual I was so excited I'm looking at myself saying come on of course this happens this storyline is massive. The NBA is growing by the day as this happens. And then he leaves Cleveland again and he's the villain and he goes to LA and he brings LA to a place that only Kobe and magic have taken them before. Like I'm sure he does. Do you think that that knowing, knowing that you're having that thought process in your brain of this feels scripted, this yeah. feels like, I don't care. I still watch a little, that's what I was going to say a does, little bit. Does it take away from it for you at all? Yeah, I don't care much anymore. Okay. Oh, you do? No, I, I don't care much anymore. So, like, it affects how much you watch? I don't watch much. Oh, interesting. I'm also, I mean, I'm a 30-year-old dude going through a mild career add-on right now of, like, like I got work to do. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, football season just started. Corey, I'm 30. Like, I've only ever cared a ton about Peyton Manning in the NFL. The rest of it was all just, like, I was a kid. Um, the rest of it was all just, like, cool, whatever. 
I cared about Ohio State, my dad, my grandpa, my great-grandpa. It's just ingrained in me in Ohio. I'm a 30-year-old dude. This 20-year-old kid is getting paid two and a half million a year to go play football at Ohio State. Dude, more power to you. That's incredible, man. Like, proud of you. The hard work is – I'm not fucking – I'm not getting emotional over this 20-year-old kid. And if he has a bad game, I, I don't care. It, it has no – it, it doesn't have bearing on me. I, th- I think it's really weak. You know what pisses me off more than anything? I, I hate sports bars. I hate sports bars when sports are on, when people are like, oh, come on. Like, no, you come on. How many touchdown passes did you throw in your career? <laughs> okay. So I think I just want to make this point on the whole sports thing from somebody that doesn't watch a lot of sports. I think that I think it's important to know the lens that you're watching it through because of all this conversation that we just had about the sports stuff, uh, I've realized that if it's to be entertained and to enjoy an evening with the friends or the family or to kill your night because you have nothing better to do, awesome. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I think we, I think entertainment in our life is important. I think we need some downtime. But exactly to the guy who gets mad about the missed throw or the f- wide field goal or whatever the case might be, it's like, man, you. This is there's bigger things in this world. Like the fact that you're emotionally attached to something that you you literally have no control over. None. Quite literally have zero control over, and that's affecting you emotionally. Oh boy, we need to talk. I have a rule. <laughs> I have a rule. Everyone, uh, everyone that I watch sports with knows this rule. You are not allowed to criticize out of a league that you made it to. So myself, I was a division one athlete. I wasn't good. Shit, I was a D1 athlete. Guess how many people I criticize that are D1 athletes? Fucking zero. Because I have like a life to live. I have like better things to do. And the 19-year-old kid whose girlfriend hooked up with his teammate last weekend, and then he got dumped, made a bad read on a play, and that is not going to affect my life. Just at all. It's I, 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 I refuse. Now... What I will say is I love the entertainment they provide. I think for a lot of people, it is an outlet. Um, I think if you're getting emotional over it, you like truly need counseling and help and therapy about like the things that are actually important in life. Um, I was at the Drake concert the other night and I just couldn't help but think, dude, I mean, unbelievably talented guy. I couldn't help but think, how much this was fixed for you to get to this point. Cause what a story, what a fucking story, what a guy, what a story at some point. And again, entertainment industry, billions and bi- the NFL's worth 168. That's really cute compared to what music is worth. There's unlimited value in music, unlimited. You, there's no price tag. Trillions of dollars would be the price tag. And I'm not even sure that exists. Like, w- there's people more talented than Drake that have had an opportunity, but they didn't get to that level. You know what I think about? Who'd you have to fuck over? What did you have to do? What dirt did you have to put yourself through to get to that? I don't judge. I don't give a shit. If the, the opportunity never presents itself to you and I, so I can't say what I would or wouldn't do. You just you just really get a feel as you get a little older, as you get a little better sense of awareness about what's going on in the world, you just really get a feel that everything has a little bit of a script to it. That being said, Drake's music helped me in times of my life when I was not well. Mm. So it means something to me. 
That said, I'm still going to spend $1,500 on a fucking GA seat to go be close to Drake and the one time I'm going to see him my whole life. I'll never see him in concert again. Because I'll need to. Do you, so on that point, and this is probably a really tough question, probably something you've never thought about. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious as to throw this back at you. Because I think this is an interesting topic about how many of the things are fixed or how many things are like staged, I guess you could mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. And one that comes top of mind for me as of recently, because I just wrote about it, was uh, the two barbecue spots here in Austin, Blacks and Terry Blacks. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with this whole situation? I'm I'm, I'm loosely familiar. I'm familiar enough, yeah. So essentially they're related, mm -hmm. Blacks and Terry Blacks, and they had a dispute. They broke off. They decided to do their own thing. And now there's just like competition of who's better, Blacks or Terry Blacks. Do you think that's scripted? Just wondering. Thinks to that level... Or do you think that's not a, like a big enough player in the realm of like money and leverage and media? Do I think that part is scripted? No. Do I know that the food scene has scripts in it? Yes, because I'm someone involved in the Olsen food scene and I've seen. Tell me more. Can you share? Absolutely. Well, like what, give me an example of like, what are some of these scripts that are being played in the Austin scene? Austin's the best restaurant. Oh, okay. Why is it not Red Ash? Why is it not? Yeah. I don't know. That's the best restaurant in Austin. Uh, you tell me that what. Is, that is, that is, that's the, the best restaurant okay. in Austin. And that's not just opinion. That's, they have the best quality food from the best quality sources you can get. Them, Jay Carver's, they're both the same thing. But they never win Austin's best restaurant because they don't do certain things for it. Yes, that's correct. Because mm -hmm. they don't do certain things for it. How's come all those restaurants on the top 10 list you go to? And it's like, that was underwhelming. $400 for that? <laughs> not a fucking chance in hell. I'm not going to list any. I'm not going to name any of them. I don't, we don't need any of like that stuff going on. Cause like I'll frequent them if my friends would like to go. The Austin, I mean, yeah, all the way down to the level of this Austin food scene scripted. Yeah. So Austin's best BBQ spots. Hey, I got this spot available, but here's an example. Oh boy. Bring it. We need more time. <sighs> I get hit up very often for, we love to feature your podcast here. Hey, Justin, I would love to have you write an article here. No, no, you don't need to write anything. We got it. We got it. Uh, $50,000 for a uh, centerfold in Forbes. You think, I mean, you think about it. Yeah. I've thought about it. 100%. $50,000 for me to be put as a centerpiece in Forbes magazine as a rising, elevating superstar in the podcasting space. What that would do for the podcast, the ROI would be probably greater than 50K. Yeah, that happens. I mean, I, I've got those emails. I've got those DMs. That is a thing. Yahoo. And it's not the actual company reach out. It's people, this representative representatives reach out to you pay for this service. So now whenever I see someone like featured in X, Y, Z, so I was featured on ESPN. ESPN came to a sponsor of mine. They said, this is what we want. The sponsor came to me and I was part of a commercial that aired on ESPN during a world strongest men event. So I've actually been featured on ESPN in a very organic manner. Hmm. 
So I know that this is possible. So when I say I'm featured on ESPN, it was organic. There, there was zero dollars I got paid. There was zero dollars they got paid. They came to my sponsor. My sponsor came to me and they said, let's, let's run this. This is back in 2020 when the world was shut down. The conundrum, Corey, that I run into. I, there's a lot of people that rely on me. There's a lot of people that I love. There's a lot of people that like, I want to make money in this life to be able to make sure that they're great and they have opportunity. So if you come to me and you say, Hey, you know, you press this button and this is the effect, but your podcast garners this level of attention that's going to be able to provide X, Y, and Z that you stated you want for your people. You press it or you don't. The effects, I feel like that's kind of that's kind of what goes on. I feel like that's what goes on in the entertainment space. How much are you willing to allow go bad for you to claim that fame and success and you know whatever you want? Whereas, I mean, right now I f- I feel like I my talents, my success, the way that I study this craft, the effort that I put into the craft, the level of conversation I have, like I think this is probably pretty entertaining to people. It's entertaining to me, and that's so I feel aligned with it. I feel like I can get there without needing those things. But yeah, when they're like, "Hey, fifty G's," and you're like in Forbes, and this isn't like some scam span. This is like a legit. This is an actual situation. I, I I wish you could provide a little bit more details of, of context. I hope that my reputation is you know, speaks for itself in this. But I mean, is that not very attractive? Forbes magazine, Corey. What are the people I want to attract to the podcast? Literally, people who read Forbes magazine. But then you start playing the game. What do you think? I think that you're able to make the right decision in that. As as wild as this sounds because of your grit you know how to work hard for something and i don't think you want the easy route and i think mm-hmm. that's probably the more important lesson in that mm-hmm. is that i think we're all often offered offered the opportunity to take the quote-unquote easy route i mean it's the same thing for me as well man I've, I've had people come up to me about the podcast show and the social media stuff as well as like hey we can get you featured in so-and-so magazine and whatever etc but like what kind of story is that and at the end of the day we're all heroes in our own story. At the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed is like, you want hopefully a cool story to tell someday. Mm-hmm. Does that make for a cool story? I not know. really. I know. Right. And like, does that allow you to sleep good at night? Probably not. Right. I think, I think we're all offered those opportunities, but I think, uh, again, I keep saying it and it, cause it's something that's deep in my heart right now is like zooming out. Like zoom out, like, will that get you maybe to where you want to go a little bit quicker? Maybe. Is that a cool story though? Like, is that fill your heart? Is that meaningful to you? Is that giving you towards your shared vision of like a life that you want to live in alignment with how you want to live? Probably not. Right. Mm-hmm. That's just what I think is like learning how to zoom out in situations like that. I think it's very applicable to this. It's like what we're what we're currently discussing. I think there's a healthy relationship to realize some people get opportunity because maybe they did catch a break. There's this large pushback going on right now, public pushback about things going on in Hollywood with celebrities, kids getting special treatment. And well, what the fuck do you expect? What? <laughs> 
Yeah, they're already there. They they grew up immersed in the culture and the environment. I, I, I don't believe that takes away from true talent. But if you're true grass grassroots talent trying to make your way, I have a friend. She She's coming on the podcast soon, is in this situation, actually, and we'll talk about it w- with her. I'm very excited for that conversation. Grassroots talent that doesn't have this easy entry into this world you're going to have to sacrifice some things and fight a little bit harder than other people. Well, that's life, dude. That's life. Some people are born with a gold spoon in their mouth. Some people are born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Some people might be born with a diamond spoon in their mouth. Some people are born with no spoon in their mouth. That's okay. Some people are born with a plastic spoon in their mouth. You know, it's like, at the end of the day, you're going to come to a crossroads if your talent get, take, delivers you to this place. You're going to come to a crossroads of, what am I really willing to sacrifice? Mm. In my mid-20s, I thought I wanted to be rich. I thought I wanted to like have this super lavish lifestyle. Now, what's changed, as it'll continue to change as well, is I just want all my people to be good, like really good. And I'm becoming more of a minimalist because of that. So it's like the the riches don't really appeal to me. But that being said, as I know you can relate to this, I just think I have a message that people need to hear and that people can like really take and change from. And so I feel this, like I feel really aligned with that. Don't you kind of feel the same about the work that you do with the, with the podcast? Yeah, man, I've, I've shifted a lot. I'm pretty tenacious about goal setting. I'm very ambitious like you are as well. Yeah. And I've been pretty good about always setting goals, moving towards them, accomplishing yeah. a lot of them. Definitely not always. And over the years, though, I've realized how they've evolved and they have changed. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's experience, maybe it's wisdom. I don't know. I think there's a certain degree of you need to accomplish enough things to realize there's always going to be another thing. I think it's part of it as well. The never ending stair step. Yeah. You take one step and it like two more add on to the end. 100%. Like you're still getting close. Like you're still going up, but. Yep. Like the, 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 the more you achieve, the more there is to achieve, the more your mind is open to what achievement actually is. Yeah. I think they call that the hedonic treadmill essentially. Yeah. 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 I like that. But, um, to your point though, is like, as it's evolved and changed, I think it's shifted. I remember looking back at some of my earlier goals of, they were very health focused, I guess you could say it was like wanting to compete in like you physique shows, not bodybuilding per se and wanting to make a certain amount of money and whatever, pretty standard goals. And I feel like now they've evolved and shifted more towards community building, which is a huge part of what I do now, having an impact, which is the whole point of the podcast show, and then actually genuinely helping people, which is more business oriented, is like they've evolved over the years of, yeah, less about like the first mountain of the money and the accolades and the status and more towards like impact community fulfillment, I guess you could say. Talk to us about your sense of community because what you've built here in Austin is pretty cool. You, uh, the first Thursday of every month, you have a meetup with a bunch of Austin fitness professionals and you guys meet up at various locations around Austin. The next one I'll actually be at, which I'll be after this podcast is launched. So if you're in Austin, you're in the fitness community, make sure to join us there. But give us some information about that first and foremost, just brief information that people can take. But beyond that, what's fascinating about you, Corey, is you're an introvert. Yet you've built this big community, and usually big communities are built by people that are more extroverted in nature. 
a lot of introverts listen to this podcast. How do they build this community? How do they take that and make it their superpower? So I want to preface this by saying that a lot of it started from a place of pain. So when I was living in Iowa at mm-hmm. the time, I was in a graduate program and moving to this town, I didn't know anybody. I really had no connections other than really my classmates and my teachers. Okay. And ultimately that led me to a pay- place of depression, sadness, loneliness, essentially. It's like, I really didn't have any community there. I moved to somewhere where I didn't know anybody and I wasn't putting any emphasis or energy behind trying to connect with people at the end of the day. I used introvert as a self-limiting belief to not go out and do things with other people. Mm. Oh, I don't do that. I'm an introvert. Or no, I, I don't go to these events. I'm an introvert. And it was, it was a self-limiting belief. It was something that, and I see this a lot of my quote unquote introvert friends is they use it as an excuse to not do something when in reality they should probably do it. And not only should they do it, they probably want to do it, but they're like, oh no, I'm an introvert. I don't, I don't do things like that. And I think that's stupid. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people use it. And I think this goes on both realms as well. I think the extroverts are like, oh, I do all the things. And they use that as an excuse to never sit down and quiet and just work on something because they're an extrovert. They got to be around people and they have to do things. And I think it's sad to see us use these. That's, That's the dark side of any of these like personality tests. And I'm sure we've all done a million of them. And I think there's things to be learned from them, but I think that we shouldn't use them as a self-learning belief or as like to put us into a box of what we should or shouldn't do based on the personality tests. And so where I'm going with this is that I was using it as an excuse. I was living in Iowa. Uh, It led me to a place of a very dark depression and super sadness. And it made me realize something fundamental about human nature, which was ironic at the time that I didn't realize it as somebody in a program about understanding holistic health. I was neglecting my relationships. And as a result, that's not a good thing for humans. Humans need people in their lives. End of story. There's no getting around that. And so after learning that lesson the hard way of having to work through this depression in Iowa, I basically just made a promise to myself that I wouldn't do it again, that I wouldn't be this frigging moron that thought I could do it all myself and that I didn't need community and that I'm tough and I'm strong and I whatever, all the stupid things that you would tell yourself as to why you don't need these connections. And so then after that, went back to live in Minnesota for a while. But then when I came to Texas, so when I was living in Minnesota, I already had my community. I had my friends. I had my family. So it was kind of just like baked into where I lived. I didn't actually have to go out of my way to build something like that, which is a good thing about like staying in your hometown is like, yeah, you have this like friend group you've always had. Well, when I came to Austin, again, I didn't have that. And I wasn't going to make that same stupid mistake again. Moved down here with my buddy. Actually, when I moved down here, uh, I sold everything. Literally, I came down here with a duffel bag in the back of my friend's car and I shipped a motorcycle down and that was my way of transportation. And so uh, when I got here though, I didn't want to make that same mistake. And so me and my buddy that moved down here at the time decided to start this group where we would basically just walk around Ladybird River for anybody that was like into health, fitness, wellness that wanted to join us on this walk. It was like, cool, like we're gonna do this. I think when we first started it, it was like every Sunday or something at like 10 a.m. And admittedly, there were times where nobody showed up, not a single soul, right? And it was like me or sometimes me and my buddy at the time just walking the river by ourselves, which is fine. Luckily, Austin's an awesome place. Yeah. So it wasn't a big deal. And that was the start of it. And then as it kind of evolved and people started showing up, we started moving this to like more venue types. So like at a brewery or at a coffee shop or at Easy Tiger, whatever, wherever we could find where somebody would host us. And so we started doing it uh, monthly at this point because like weekly was like kind of overwhelming. Honestly, it was like, 
it just felt like a chore more than something that I enjoyed doing. So I pushed it to monthly because that felt more like something to be excited about. I didn't feel like I have to do it every single week. And so it got shifted to doing monthly. And so now since then, it's been, I don't know, a couple of years now that we've been running this. Um, we're now at, I think, almost 950 members at this point. Um, and it's been literally every first Thursday of the month. That started about a year ago just because like I think the consistency of it made it more memorable for people and it was easier for them for, to plan for it. Um, and honestly, man, it's been something I never expected to happen. It's literally was just me scratching my own itch of wanting to have community and not make that mistake again. And other people seem to have gravitated towards it. And through the process of doing this now for a few years, I've learned a ton. Like there's so many mistakes that I made early on that people are always asking me about how do I prevent now? Um, and it's honestly been one of the greatest joys to just like bring people, like-minded people together uh, for a reason bigger than myself. Like really, it's like, and I think that's one of the, cores of why it's done as well as it's done, if you want to call it that, is that I've taken myself out of it. Is the way that I host these, the way that I run these, the way that I promote these is like, it's not about me. It's never really been about me. It's really about like bringing these like-minded individuals together for a reason to connect and to network and to support and to collaborate and to help each other grow in any way possible. And I think that's why people enjoy it is like, it's not about me. I don't even, I don't talk really, like I facilitate things, but I'm not like up there speaking. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why people enjoy it, but yeah. Can we go back to Iowa? There sure. was some pain points in Iowa that you were overcompensating for lack of better terms with being extremely introverted and neglecting the relationships that you had there. Could we chat about what those pain points were, what they were caused by? I think that I, like a lot of people in the health and fitness and wellness space, think that if I just eat healthy and I exercise and I work hard at my job, life will be great. You're wrong. <laughs> so, I think uh, to use an analogy, one of the longest, uh, you've probably heard of this, one of the longest ever going studies, it was like a hundred plus year study that was done that basically followed a number of people over their entire lifetime and was doing regular surveys. I don't remember how often they were, it was every like two years or something like that. Do you know what study I'm talking about here? So it was the longest ever going study and they would survey them every couple of years and basically like a questionnaire of what kind of work do you do? How much money do you make? What are your relationships like? How happy are you? Basically a big questionnaire and they followed these people over the course of their life. And some of them became politicians and presidents. Some of them worked as construction workers or janitors or whatever, everything across the board. And what they found through following these people over their literally their entire life from like death to birth for the most part is that there was only one metric that mattered that determined if they felt like they lived a happy life. There was one metric. It wasn't how much money they made. It wasn't the sort of status that they had. It wasn't the location that they were at. There was only one metric that mattered. It was the quality of the relationships in their life. That was the only thing that mattered in the entire study. And it continues to remind me, obviously to this day of again, and, and when I say quality, I say that word very intentionally. It wasn't the quantity. It wasn't rich, famous status. It wasn't a whole bunch of people. It was, did they feel like the people in their life cared about them? Did they have a quality relationship in their life? And for me, that's stuck with me ever since is like, oh damn, okay. There's so much more 
do this health happiness thing than just exercising and eating healthy and going on a walk and getting a good night's sleep. Those are all important aspects of it. But really deep rooted in all that is that we're relational creatures. We need connection. We need, that's a no arguing. We need connection in our life. Um, and so prior to feeling like I was in a very dark rock bottom moment in Iowa, I'll never forget the moment too. I was literally in my apartment uh, at the time and I was in my bedroom and I think I was like playing a video game. I think I was still in gaming at that time. And I remember all of a sudden feeling like I was in a dungeon, like I was locked in a cage and I was like, whoa, like what's going on here? And I remember all of a sudden just started crying. I was just bawling. I was like, what, what the fuck is happening right now? And I went outside, I laid in the grass and it was in that moment when I realized I was like, oh damn, like I don't have anybody in my life that I feel like I'm close with or that cares about me or that I can spend time with or that I can be like, hey, like, how are things going? Um, yeah, man. From Minnesota, you moved to Iowa. This happens. Was that what sparked the move back to Minnesota for you? Was this is a place of comfort where I have these connections and you now realize that those are so important to your quality of life? Yeah, that was a big part of it. Uh, luckily at this time, I was towards the end of the program. And so I only, I don't remember what I had, maybe like six months, not even a year left of the program to finish before I would go out and do field work as an occupational therapist. But yeah, my fieldwork rotations were back in Minnesota for that reason exactly. There's a lot of my other classmates that went to other cities and some of other countries. But for me, yeah, it was like, it was then shifting back to where I felt like I was comfortable and safe, which that actually has its dark side as well in a lot of ways, which I'm sure you know as well is like being stuck in something that's just like the norm isn't a good thing for, I would say most humans. Um, but yeah, that was the initial shift was like, all right, I need to go back to my community and my connections where I know people and I have family and I have community that I can lean on. But you had to build up your self-belief to be able to leave Minnesota again, leave the comfort, leave the safety to leave for a second time, come to Austin when you're now entering a world of the unknown, just like you did in Iowa. How did you build that back up? Obviously, the awareness is a huge part of this of this puzzle. But when you came to Austin, there had to be fear that you would slip back into where you were in Iowa, no? 100%. Yeah, no question. Uh, this again came from a place of pain, man. It's like, pain's a great motivator. Uh, a buddy said it to me once. I might butcher how he said it. But he said... Um, I would rather be miserable than mediocre because at least I would do something about it. I think about that a lot is that when we're stuck in that comfort of, we start saying things to ourselves like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. They, they pay me well. Yeah. He or she, she's kind of a good partner. They're okay. They're cool. I like spending time with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, my fitness is it's okay. Yeah. We're good. Like I, I don't have any diseases. Like when you start uttering phrases like that, that's actually a really dangerous place to be. Toxic. Super. Because you're. it's not so bad or so good like that you're going to do something different, right? Like you're just going to continue to go through the motions. It's often described as like the golden handcuffs. I can't tell you the number and nothing against any of them. I have so many friends, especially back in Minnesota, who 
They're still living in the same hometown that we always have. And again, nothing wrong with any of this. There's no judgment in any of it. But they utter phrases like that as like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, they pay me well. Mm-hmm. I get, you know, three weeks of vacation. Small town mentality. Yeah, which is fine. Again, no judgment. Absolutely. I think the important piece there is the awareness aspect of it. It's like, if you're aware that that's your situation and you're super happy about it, cool. Fucking live that life. That is fucking awesome. But if you're not, you might want to start questioning some things, right? And so for me, it came from a place of pain, man, is uh, at the time uh, I was married. Um, So after graduating grad school, moved back to Minnesota, got married with the girl that I was dating at the time for seven years, I think it was. And she was still living in Minnesota the entire time, which is when I was in Iowa, which is another thing, but, um, got married and then we actually ended up getting a divorce. And so got a divorce, COVID happened, lost my job. Uh, so at this point I was single, unemployed, moved back in with my parents. You can only imagine the state of mind I was in at this place in my life. Like what the fuck happened, right? And like all things in my life, I've had enough dark experiences to realize, and I think this only comes through just life, is that I have now come to terms with the fact that every time something quote unquote bad happens in my life, it has always, without question, every single time turned out for the better. Ray Dalio talks about this all the time, if you're familiar with Ray Dalio. And he talks about it in the principles of, it's just another one of those is what he calls it. Mm. And basically what he means by that is that Every time something quote unquote bad happens, whether it's an injury or uh, a divorce or a loss of a job or a failed business, is that afterwards there's a spiral effect that happens. It's like, yeah, it sucks. You're going to go through a grieving process. That's cool. That's normal. That's human, right? Be sad, be miserable, feel all the emotions that you need to feel. But then after that, there's a spiral that happens upwards where you learn, you grow, you have new experiences, you meet new people, new things happen, new business opportunities show up, and it happens every single time. I can't tell you the number of times this has happened in my life where it's like every time something quote unquote bad happens, I'm always like, oh, here we go. Like what's gonna happen from this? And I think that's just such a good framing for when things like that happen. But that's what happened for me when all that mirrored effect of like divorce and single living with my parents, like misery was happening was the spiral was is at the time my buddy who I moved down here with, he was also in a miserable place of like not liking his job as a pharmacist. He's like, man, I don't wanna spend another winter in uh, Minnesota, which I don't think anybody does. And so that's where we're like, well, where can we go? And I think the common places that show up in most people's mind are, we thought about Nashville, we thought about Denver, we thought about Austin, thought about Phoenix, uh, California. And of all those options, we're like, let's try Austin first. Same story, I feel like, as everybody that ends up here is like, we got here, didn't plan on staying, fell in love with the community, the people, the culture, everything about here, and basically decided not to leave. It's essentially how it happened. Yeah. And I feel like that's a very common story for people. You made a very important note in there. Essentially, to paraphrase, on the other side of everything that sucks, like good shit happens. Every time. But you've got to go find it. I mean, I, I told you, unfortunately, before this podcast, I split with a business partner just early today. And this kind of goes back to like the Hanlon's razor. Are you familiar with Hanlon's razor? It's no. like, you don't know what someone's going through. Like, so give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Um, and 
for that for that situation, I had a client, Wendy. I absolutely love Wendy. Early in the week on Monday, I responded to her update. And then um, she just makes so much progress. She does so well. And then Tuesday, yesterday, she messages me and she's like, hey, you sounded a little tired in your update. In my update yesterday, is everything okay? And for me, this is a big, I, I take way too much pride in my work for that. And I explained to her how much I appreciate her saying that. Actually, there's some things going on, but I'm going to be better moving forward to make sure that that doesn't interfere with my work. Because this situation has been looming over me so heavily, like, man, the, the alignment's just not there, and that is okay. That's perfectly okay. That made me know that the next move you know, had to happen, right? That there had to be communication that happened there um, to handle the situation that's now... If a situation creeps into my professional life, bad. That's bad news for whatever that situation is because that done, done. Personal relationship, romantic relationship, um, something going on somewhere, anywhere, doesn't matter, done. And why it's so easy to make that move, I've talked about this on the podcast before. And over the years of TM, TM has been around for about eight years now. A lot of people have come and gone, a lot of prominent people. And to some who don't understand the nature of growth, that looks like a bad thing. For people who understand the nature of growth and alignment and energetics, it's a great thing. Because they're stalwarts, people who've been there and like we're still rocking you know, six, seven years in, like Kelly Igo. There's more people who have joined who are stalwarts, like Danielle, like someone like Noah, someone like Austin, like Tom Emily. Like, and then there's people that come and they go, and that's okay. But on the other side of every single time something less than ideal has happened, we've shot up. And I make this comment like, no matter what happens, who comes, goes, Team Haley gets better mm. because there's a vision. It goes to my Instagram post earlier today, which by the time this drops, it'll be like two weeks ago. But it, the vision, they don't understand that vision. They don't understand where we're going. So if you can't see the vision, these the people who matter see it. But if you can't see, you got to get out of the way. You got to remove yourself or I got to remove you out of the way, right? But you mentioned the importance of comfort and safety and how dangerous that can be. This is the danger. Well, it's comfortable to not have the conversation. It's comfortable to not make the move. It's real safe here. I know what happens here and I don't know what happens out there. And those people never see that light towards their vision. They might not even have a vision. And not every vision needs to be this grandiosity. Your vision could simply be like, hey, I just want to have like 10 Gs in the bank account. And that's incredible. That's amazing. Like, like if where what your vision is, it is aligned with you. But yo, no one can stand in the way of that thing. You and your vision need to have continual communication and a relationship that is very ironclad. Because as soon as you lose that, you start losing alignment. And you start losing alignment, you start losing energetics. And now the energetics that you're putting out into the world, things aren't coming back to you and you wonder why. And it's because you're not aligned. There's so much more I want to chat about in this podcast, but we're a little bit past time already. And I feel like we're just getting warmed up. 
wrap us up. What do you think about that? How do energetics play in your life as well? Yeah, I, I think the thing that's coming top of mind, and we were lucky enough to talk about it briefly when you and I got together for coffee not that long ago, is just like having a lion to chase. I know we tapped on that real quick. And just to give people context of kind of like that conversation. Yeah, please do. I, and I, I can only speak from a male perspective. And so I guess I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it from a female's perspective because I'm not a female. But um, there's a, <laughs> there's this idea of like having something bigger than yourself to move towards essentially. And I, the analogy is obviously like chasing a lion is that for all of human history, for the most part, is that there's been a reason to get up in the morning is like you have to go chase the bear or the lion or the deer or whatever, something. Basically, you have to go out, you have to hunt, you have to gather something, you have to bring it back to your people and you get to feed your people and you get to spend the rest of the day enjoying it with your people. I think unfortunately, so many humans in general lack that and not necessarily to their own fault. I think it's just like where we've gotten as a society is that you can you could literally never leave your house for long periods of time and continue to survive. Scary. There are people that live in by back home in downtown Minneapolis when it's 30 below in the winter and survive. That is crazy to me. Like their, their, their lack of need to chase a desire is so low. You could literally live in the streets of downtown Minneapolis, 30 below winters and continue to survive and be fine and to move on with your life. Yeah. That is crazy. To crazy. Me, right. But here's the liberating part of this entire thing, though, is that at any day, at any moment, even listening now, you could so choose to chase a lion. And to your point exactly is that it doesn't have to be this grandiest thing. I think people put so much pressure on like meaning it's literally a lion. It doesn't literally have to be a lion. It could be your definition of lion. If your definition of lion is to maybe someday get on stage and compete in a bodybuilding or physique show, not even win, just to compete, that could be your lion. That's fucking awesome. That's cool. Move towards that thing, right? Take steps towards that thing and accomplish that thing. Feel how good it feels to accomplish this thing and this dump of dopamine that you get for achieving this goal and then choose another lion, right? Maybe that lion then is to start coaching other people to do it. Or maybe that lion is to start a yogurt stand. I don't know. Like the point is, is that we are always given the opportunity at any given moment to choose our lion and to chase it. And I think it's just, we need more people doing that and less people just ordering Uber Eats, I guess you could say. That's beautifully stated. Corey, I knew that we were going to have an incredible conversation. It was, it was awesome having you on here. We're definitely going to be back for round two with more conspiracy theories for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, where can the people find you? Where can the people find your podcast? Uh, Instagram would be the most active. Corey Hibben. It's my name. I'm sure you put that in the show notes. And then my podcast is The Health Hustle, Austin, Texas. If anybody checks it out, I'd love for just feedback. Mm -hmm. We did an episode with Justin that was actually, I tell people it's funny. Actually, the most recommended show I give to people is our episode. Nice. I'm not just saying that because I'm on your show. I love that. Legitimately, when people are like, which one I should listen to? I was like, check out Justin. That guy is fucking fire. So, I really appreciate that a ton. Yeah. So. Well, this was a fire episode as well. I appreciate you coming on. And you guys, I know that you guys are going to absolutely love this one. I look forward to your feedback about our conspiracy theory beliefs below. Is the entertainment system rigged? Yes or no? Share your thoughts. But as always, make sure to leave us a thumbs up on YouTube, a five-star rating review. Share with your friends and you guys already know what comes next. I'll see you next time.